Hey, good morning, church. So here we are again, another COVID issue. And as you've probably seen on social media, we are going to be halting our search services probably for the next three weeks, um, just because of the, um, the amount of cases that have hit us here in Warren County. Um, we'd rather be safe and make sure you're safe. So that's why we're gonna be doing some videos for you. And most of you know how much I love doing videos. But anyway, here we are, and I also wanted to let you know that if you want to see what's going on um, at our church, you can go to royaloakchurch.com now, and that'll be everything that we have going on at the moment. You can get up-to-date information on where we're at with COVID and the latest podcasts and videos. And also, there's information on how to give online and how to connect with us. We really recommend that you text use the texting method. There's, inf there's instructions on that um, website that show you how to easily sign up to get text messages sent to your phone. That's really the best way to get information into your hands as quickly as possible. So starting next week, we are going to be in our Christmas series called Beyond Belief. I can't wait to get started on this uh, series with you next week. Uh, Christmas is right upon us. I hope you all had a very good Thanksgiving, by the way. We've been taking questions for you, from you for some time now. Uh, the past few weeks, we've talked about a lot of different things, and there are a lot more questions that you have given me to answer that I will be able to squeeze in before Christmas. So we will be doing a lot of these throughout the year next year. I saved this question specifically for this time. This time is just before Christmas. And the question is, how do we know that Jesus actually existed and how do we know the Bible is fact? In order to properly celebrate Chris Christmas, we need to believe that Jesus had actually existed or everything we're celebrating is a lie and false. Aside from the scripture, I'm going to give you some information that I've read in a book called The Case for Christ from Lee Strobel. Now, Lee Strobel was an atheist who turned Christian um, and was an award-winning legal editor for the Chicago Tribune and best-selling author. Today, we're going to focus on the New Testament. The New Testament points back to the Old Testament, proving the New Testament itself, and that is where we're going to start. So let's talk about proof. Everybody wants proof. One of the number one proofs that we have in scripture that it is real are eyewitnesses. These are found in the Gospels. Here are some facts about the Gospels. The Gospels were not written in real time. In other words, they didn't walk around with Jesus with pen and paper in hand and wrote down everything he said and did. They really took this to themselves and created a bi biography of his life later on after Jesus was gone. They were all written in the first century. Eyewitnesses were still around at the time that, the, that they wrote these gospels. Luke chapter one says this, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning I also have decided to write an account, an accurate account for you, most honorable, honorable Theopolis, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. 
So how do we know the info is accurate? Well, nothing was printed back then. Think about that. Nothing was really in print. There was no internet. There was no recording devices at all. Yet how do we know that these conversations and everything actually took place? How did these stories get around? One standard way back during this time, the only way really that history was able to be taught and learned was from oral tradition. In other words, things were memorized. They didn't have the uh, luxury of going online and searching Wikipedia entries to make sure their facts are true. They were completely memorizing all of this information. It was common for Jews to memorize the Torah. If you don't know what the Torah is, it's basically the first five books of the Old Testament. Yes, that includes Leviticus, and you know how I feel about Leviticus. They knew almost word for word what was in the word. Imagine how difficult that must have been and how much harder it would be to fool other people. Because if you started telling a lie and oral tradition was the way to communicate, then people would quickly call you out when you, when you challenge them. In other words, you can't just walk around telling lies because with, in this time period, communities would come up against you and say, no, that's not what we were taught. This is the truth. People could in real time fact check what you were saying when you started speaking to them because the community of believers would literally look you in the eye and say, no, that's not how it is. And about five or six people would start reciting the truth to you. Unlike today, you would be fact checked in real time. They would be easily, you would, they would easily be able to tell if you were telling a lie. Today, videos, pictures, and all of those things that we look at on the internet, um, they take the place of oral tradition. Now, the problem with that is we can manipulate this stuff that we have today. We can ma manipulate videos. We can manipulate pictures. We can do all of these things. We typically don't believe anymore what comes out of people's mouths, but what they can present as proof tangibly, either written, and even if it's written, it has to be documented, it has to be notarized, and we don't take anyone at their word anymore. We seldom do. But over 2,000 years ago, your word was all that you had. In other words, you really could mess up your life because you were a liar. Think about that. Oral tradition becomes a self-correcting system because if you start to tell the story incorrectly, you have a community that will quickly let you know if you choose to keep telling the lie, they will let you know that eventually nobody, and eventually nobody would listen to you anymore. You would be an outcast in that community. It was a consequence for being a liar and for being a deceiver back then. Unfortunately, today, it's too gray of an area for people to even accuse anybody anymore. History and tradition was passed to one generation to the next using this method. But what about the contradictions? When we read the Bible, there's one instance, or there's many instances, where the, the four uh, Gospels seem to contradict each other. And one of those instances was when Jesus healed a blind man. Now, in one instance, um, the gospel said that there were two blind men that Jesus healed, and Mark focused, focused on just one, and he didn't even mention the second one. 
So let me ask you this, though. Knowing that there's some contradictions in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels specifically, what if all the Gospels were exactly the same word for word? Wouldn't that be a little odd? It's kind of like talking points today. We hear that on the news. Everybody's got their talking points that comes from one person, and they say and repeat the same things over again. You could also say this could be some type of collusion where these four Gospels, whoever the authors were, had the same exact message. It would, also, it would seem fake to me that four people would give the exact, exact same account. It makes more sense that they're not completely the same and they're not identical because everyone observes things differently. That's the whole point of eyewitness testimony. It's to get different perspectives on the same events. And that's what these gospels represent. Remember the, the tennis shoe photo that went viral on the internet? Some people thought it was teal and gray and others thought it was white and pink. It was the same photo, but everybody had different opinions on it. It's perspective. It's what you see. Right now, there are 5,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament from the first century, from the first four centuries. They still exist today. They didn't have copy machines back then. Mr. Gutenberg wouldn't be around for another 1,400 years. Even if he was, most people couldn't read anyway. The point is people spent time to make sure that these testimonies were not lost or forgotten. Many people copied and wrote and rewrote what the disciples had written about Jesus during this time. In fact, today, if needed, the entire New Testament can be reproduced again if all the Bibles went missing. They can be reproduced again by those 5,000 copies and manuscripts we have from the 1st through the 4th century today. The second thing is there was eyewitnesses outside of the Bible. Is there anything outside of the Bible that corroborates the New Testament and the Gospels? In fact, there's a few. Jesus did leave a huge impact on the entire environment that he was born into. A man by the name of Flavius Josephus was a first century Roman historian. Listen to what he wrote. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following both among many Jews and many Greeks alike. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, condemned him for the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, and the tribes of Christians so named for him, are not extinct at this day. So what about the Gnostic Gospels? Those are outside of the Bible, and we hear of these different Gospels that have presented themselves over the last 30 years. A couple examples are the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Truth, the Gospel of the Egyptians, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Philip. And on and on it goes, the secret Gospel of Mark, the Dialogue of the Savior, These books were all written in the 2nd and 3rd century. That's a difference between 200 and 300 years removed from when Jesus walked the earth. The Gospels that we read in the Bible are written by the witnesses 
who also talked to other direct witnesses during this time. This is an account. If you are looking to prove something is true, you would focus on the firsthand witness. You, weren't, you wouldn't get hearsay. You wouldn't go from a friend of a friend of a friend who knew this person. They went right to the witness. The culture, the government, the whole environment was dramatically different when these Gnostic Gospels were produced two to 300 years later. Thirdly, let's look at Jesus. Jesus performed miracles. Everyone that knew Jesus knew that he had done extraordinary things. It was undisputed what Jesus did. However, depending on what you thought of Jesus, they would explain it differently. For those that didn't grasp who he was, who he says he was, they would just basically say that he was nothing more than a magician or a mystic. Jesus forgave sins. Only God can forgive. Religious leaders didn't like this. When Jesus had helped somebody who was crippled, before he healed the man, the first thing Jesus said to him was, your sins are forgiven, now get up and walk. Well, they didn't. the Jewish leaders went nuts when they heard Jesus say that. Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. A passage of scripture reads this. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Who did the Lord lay all the sins on? It was Jesus. But this book, this passage of scripture was from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53.6, written eight centuries prior to Jesus. Many other prophecies that made it, had made it clear that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy itself. David wrote the following about 300 years before crucifixion was introduced as a means of punishment and or torture. He wrote this, Psalm 22.16, My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang chases in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Here's a small summary of the prophecies hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. The Messiah will be born of a virgin, be born in Bethlehem, be called Emmanuel. He will be a prophet. Ministry will begin in Galilee. He will perform miracles. He will rise from the dead. He will be betrayed by a friend. He will die a violent death. His hands and his feet will be pierced. Today, scholars say that Jesus fulfilled at least four dozen major prophecies in the Old Testament. A professor of mathematics named Peter Stoner actually um, calculated the odds of this happening. Any human being being able to fulfill 48 of these prophecies, the chance that he came up with was one chance in a trillion times 12. In other words, that is mathematically impossible. Fifthly, the evidence for resurrection. To me, this really proves that he is the son of God. How did he die? He died through crucifixion, really the worst gruesome way to die at that time in history. So let's ask a couple questions. Was the tomb really empty? We know from scripture that the first to see the empty tomb were two women, Mary and Mary. Now, if this whole thing was going to be a deceptive ploy, then they would not have sent two women. Why? Well, you're not going to like to hear this, but unfortunately, 
at this point in history, women were considered second-class citizens. In other words, any woman that said something to a man, the man would in, could easily just say, you're just a woman. It's not believable. So why would they, if they were going to pull a stunt, why would they send women in this period of time? They would have sent men of... Um, men who they could trust, men who they knew that the community would trust to go and tell them, yes, we saw nothing in the tomb, but instead there were women. But the women told the truth. Here's more proof that the tomb was actually empty from Matthew 28, starting in verse 11. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. Hmm. They told the soldiers, you must say this. Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you, so don't worry about that. The guards accepted the bribe and, and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. They wouldn't have come up with such an elaborate scheme like this if there was a body, right? If Jesus' body was in the tomb, all they would have to do is show everybody. They could literally have the town walk by the tomb, have the stone rolled away, and see the body of Jesus. It wasn't there. And then there's an account of hundreds of people seeing Jesus after he died. I don't know if you read that in Scripture, but... It happened. After Jesus rose again, he stayed on earth and visited a lot of people while he was there. Did this really happen, though? Paul writes the following letter to the church in Corinth. This is, here's what Paul says. I passed on to you what was most important and what also had been promised to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead, just as the scriptures had said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, and after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Those are eyewitness accounts. Not just a couple, but over 500 people that saw Jesus after he rose again. He even mentions that they're still alive. In other words, Paul's challenging this church in Corinth. It's like, listen, if you don't believe me, they're alive. Go talk to them. Take their word. Their word is everything. Remember what we said earlier. Oral tradition. Your word is everything. You can literally lose job and be kicked out of a community if you do not keep your word. Not like today. So the resurrection story for me in closing here seems to be, hold the most striking evidence. Why? Because of a dramatic change of heart by Jesus' disciples and followers. What was the one thing that the disciples did after Jesus was arrested and beaten? They feared for their life. The ones that said they would do anything for Jesus were the first ones to say, I have no idea who he is. They ran. They were afraid, and I don't blame them. After seeing what Jesus was punished with and what he went through, they just wanted to get away. They avoided Jesus. They turned their back on him. They left him. 
in his moment of need because of what he went through. But then, it wasn't long after Jesus rose again that they were back in it with him. What turned their fear, their striking fear that would cause them to abandon a friend, not only a friend, but the Savior of the world, who they saw do all these miracles. And when he got arrested and beaten and torn apart, they decided that this isn't good. I got to get out of here. I don't want anybody to know that I even followed him. Why would they all of a sudden change? Because nothing's going to change for them. They're still going to have to go through punishment, and they know it, but yet they made the decision to follow Jesus again, and I believe the thing that convinced them the most, most was seeing Jesus after he rose again physically. That had to have been it because there would be nothing else that they, would, that they could actually just take a hold of and say, all right, I know I was scared at first, but now I'm not going to be scared. They saw the resurrected Christ. And I tell you, if we were there and we saw the same thing, we would never be the same again. In fact, many of these disciples and many of these followers that, that left Jesus' side in the moment he was in trouble and then came back to him, many of them were put to death themselves the same way that Jesus died and the same punishment and some even worse. What motivated them? Remember, they ran when Jesus arrested, was arrested. They denied knowing him for fear of being punished. And now they give their life for him. I can understand maybe one or two, but all of them had a sudden change of heart. The fact is, Jesus is real. No matter what people try to tell you today, no matter the facts that some people contrive to try to convince you otherwise, Jesus is real. His life is direct fulfillment of prophecies written in the Old Testament hundreds of years before his appearance on earth. Both Old and New Testament are woven together by the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can be confident in the scripture. You can be confident in who Jesus is because of what we read here. The Bible is real. Sometimes we might think, well, maybe it's just a story. It all comes together. The odds alone of Jesus being able to fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament are staggering. It is a mathematical impossibility. So today, I just want to remind you, as we get ready for Christmas, that we are not just celebrating something in the past. We are celebrating something now, and that now is Jesus Christ in you and in me. And we cannot celebrate Christmas if we don't first believe that he was born to us. And we can't believe that he would be born to us unless we understood the prophecies that were fulfilled in the Old Testament. So, yes, there is a Jesus. Hey, I'm so glad you joined me today. We are going to have some live. Now, we're going to have some recorded music next week from our worship leader um, before the message. So we're going to ask you to join in with that. Um, we will have these videos out by 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings for you. You will be um, inundated with messages on social media, and we just want to keep you updated. We want to keep you informed of what's going on, and we want to keep you connected. So please stay connected to us. Um, feel free to reach out on our royaloakchurch.com slash now page. You can email us there. Um, you can 
you can get the latest sermon. You can get all the latest information on what's going on and what's going to be taking place each week here. And I'm praying that we get together soon. And most importantly, I'm praying that this virus ends and that the people that are affected by it are healed. And we're going to do that together right now. So if you would bow your heads with me while we pray. Father, I just thank you again for all that you're doing in our hearts, Father, in our minds, in our lives, in our community. Father, we know without a shadow of a doubt that your son came to do all the things that you required of him, Father. Everything that we read in what we call the Bible, Father, is, is true and it's, and it's real and it gives us hope and it gives us joy, it gives us strength, Father. And Lord, we need that today, Father, as people are suffering right now across the world, Father, with a pandemic that no, nobody could have ever foreseen. Lord, people are dying, loved ones, friends we know, close friends and family, Father, are struggling with this virus even now, sitting in hospital beds that they were just a few weeks ago in picture-perfect health, Father, and now they are fighting for their lives. Father, we pray that you just heal them in Jesus' name. We read all about what Jesus did, your son, when he was here. And Father, he is still here in us. So we just proclaim healing throughout this land, Father, throughout this world. And Father, I pray that people that are healed have an encounter with you that they cannot hold to themselves, that it just propels them to tell the world about what you did for them. And Father, I thank you for those who are struggling today also with illnesses and recent diagnosis, Father, that they weren't expecting. Lord, I pray for healing. I pray for um, you to go before any surgery and take care of what's there and remove it, Father. I pray that for the sick and the weak, Father, and I pray for those who are missing family today, Lord, that you would just comfort them. And Lord, I pray that as we enter this Christmas season and the remembrance of the gift that you gave us, Father, that we share this gift with the world and we never let it and we never hold on to it for ourselves. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it for me. You guys have a good week. I will see you. Well, you'll see me again next Sunday on video. And I love you and God bless you.